everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Originative Podcast. So today we have a very accomplished and amazing person on our podcast, and her name is Solana Booth, who I am so thankful I've gotten to know a lot over time. And just to introduce her, because she does so many amazing things, she is a Alaska Native um, traditional teacher, and she has been involved in traditional canoe family work. She has a lot of ancient knowledge about hunting and gathering. She's a traditional medicine keeper. She's worked a lot with first foods, traditional ceremonies, especially generational trauma work, and she is currently aspiring to open one of her own rehabilitative and recovery wellness centers, which is going to be super impactful and helpful for the community. She is a part of the Nooksack Nation, um, which is one of the first nations, and she's also Mohawk, and she has a wonderful family with mother of four and has adopted five amazing kids, and she also has two granddaughters. So welcome, Solana. Thank you so much for coming, and I'm really excited to talk to you. Thank you, Anushka. It's an honor to be with you today. Uh, You're one of my favorite youth leaders and whatever I can do to support you in your work I will do thank you so much yeah so I just wanted to start off by asking you more about your vision for the rehabilitative center which is such a wonderful project idea so what sort of sparked your inspiration to create the center and where does this need come from yeah so that's a good question thank you for asking the reason that I want to open the doors of the Recovery Me and Wellness Center um, is bigger than my childhood, is bigger than my granddaughter's wellness. Um, it has to do with the collective recovery and collective healing or interrupting or disrupting or diluting generational trauma. Um, and it's not just of the people, it's of Mother Earth and all who inhabit all who feed off of her, all who thrive, live, work, die um, on Mother Earth. So the needs are great. And thanks to, you know, experience and education and trainings and relationships with certain leaders and certain classes of of people around the world, um, there is domestic healing modalities that can be employed there's ceremonies and there's storytelling and there's foods and mother's breath or plant medicines that can induce um, that recovery as well so i'm more than confident that it will be a success it's right now just a matter of raising capital Um, there's a team of advocates including um, integrative medicine doctors uh, mental health clinical psychologists uh, directors um, health policy reform that are also on board and wanting this to happen sooner than later. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. And yeah, like you mentioned, there's so many aspects to healing that go into suggest or helping and supporting people who have and dealt with generational trauma. So this is some really wonderful work. Um, And I sort of also wanted to go off of that and ask you about if you could sort of explain, you know, give a back context to why this is such a big need in the community and if you could take us back to you know where your 
work with generational trauma started? Yeah, I would say um, for the generations that are around us today, uh, I would say that a lot of the traumas stem from 500 years ago. Um, and for others before that, of course, um, colonial settlerism, their trauma started way before they landed um, in Indian country. And for Indians and Native Americans and indigenous people, um, I feel like those traumas definitely started 500 years ago. Um, and those traumas include um, the stories, the creation stories, the ceremonies, the lack of access to how we prayed, the lack of access to birthing people, to death, um, mm -hmm. our foods, our, our um, mode of operating has been completely disrupted and dismantled. And the stories of those have been retold with a trauma lens, the stories of um, most of our creation stories have been misinterpreted and reshared in a trauma lens. And so the work is, is great right now. Um, a lot of the things that we're facing right now, besides racism and the pandemic are medical access, uh, mental health, spiritual, emotional care, uh, foods, basic, basic needs and basic relationship orientations. You know, families are becoming families before they can sustain one. People are becoming pregnant before they have a true relationship with themselves. So how can a community really support a mother and baby right now? Um, if there was ever sexual abuse involved or brutal separations or neglect or insidious, heinous acts of violence and trauma. There's a lot of things that have not been uncovered for first people, indigenous people, and a lot of stories that have not been shared. And when one person or being isn't allowed to share their story, um, be able to learn it and understand it and correct errors in their own story and their learning, then that's not even a full person. You know, so we have millions of people that are not full of themselves enough. So when you're not full of yourself and not healed or not on your healing journey in a good way, then all you can do is take from others. And all you can do is find that eddy in the river that you can get stuck in emotionally and spiritually and medically and mentally and physically is usually the last conflict that people take notice of a trauma that they, that they take notice of something is wrong inside their body when a physical injury ailment or disease shows up and that's a problem mm -hmm. because that's not that's not healthcare that's not wellness that's it's not inclusive um, so there's there's a lot of evidence right now um, that speaks to the need for generational trauma recovery or interruptions of suffering or interruptions of trauma. Mm -hmm. And you obviously have like so much experience working in this field. So 
I'm just curious, like, where did it all start for you? And how did you get involved in this work? And when was it that you realized that this is something that's so important for the community? Mm. Yeah, so I, I like to say I got started um, when I was one and a half is when my grandfather's inside of me started uh, caring for me. Um, you know, I, I would always be able to notice certain things and pick up on learning how to do something or teaching myself how to do something. It, it's always been hard to take credit for myself because I know that I've always had my grandfather's um, guiding me and disciplining me and helping me not only survive, but learn and be able to further integrate what was happening around me as a young person. And so when I noticed the need being even greater was when I became a mom and my mom died at that, at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was motherless and I was a mother and I was very young has been experience. And again, thankfully I had my grandfathers to, um, you know, suggest and advise a lot of things like going to school for education, um, and then getting endorsements in special education and then getting endorsements in family systems and different credentials. So I thought I would focus on teaching and I went up the chain and became director. And I I was always wanting to find the root of behavioral issues, of socioeconomic issues, of housing issues, of, um, pregnancy issues, of birthing issues, of certain, certain, um, barriers to certain communities, especially of color, uh, racism. So then I, after, you know, completing over 10 years in education and working my way up to directorship, um, I decided to go into videography. So maybe I can start telling stories of these discrepancies and retelling creation stories and, and shining light on resources like Canoe Journey, like um, the Canoe Society. And so I was able to be trained um, by the folks, by the high bloods, by the chiefs, uh, different lineages that were actually part of the ones who kept the canoe journey alive when it was outlawed. So these folks would get in their canoes and journey in the Salish Sea when the Coast Guard thought it was too rough to be out there, that's when they pulled in their canoes to go potlatch. So the sacrifices that were made, um, I was always able to be around those stories about sacrificing and how strong our spirituality is and how to how to listen, not just with two ears, but with my heart, and my body and somatically. So then I got into um, birth work and trained native doulas and started um, the Seattle Indian Health Board's doula program. And that, you know, got contagious because at the same time, uh, the state of Washington was allowing and decided to allow Medicaid to pay for doulas. Um, and so, you know, being a part of all these movements uh, in a big way, um, always wanting to find the roots of certain pains, uh, the roots of adversity and the adversities that I faced growing up as an, as a grown up, as an adult, as a mother, as a grandmother, my work has been to keep going deeper. So after the birth work, um, I got into healthcare and 
Um, so I was executive administrator for, um, I started a MAC clinic, started a dental clinic um, for a local IHS provider in, in the city of Seattle and learned a lot about program operations and the billing system. And that's when Washington State became an ACH state, which is a third ACH state in the nation. Um, so I learned a lot about those operations and helped create um, certain positions there in Seattle, which is healthier here. Um, and then quickly, that's when the seed um, began to root into the fruition of the Recover Me and Wellness Center. That was in 2017 is when I decided that I need to open my own center and it's not going to be focused on substance use disorder. It's not going to be focused on alcohol abuse. It's going to be focused on generational trauma and historical trauma. And so I went and got trained in different credentials in generational brain spotting and somatic archaeology. And both of those modalities are billable through Medicaid. So um, the socioeconomic issue and the difference between poverty and um, upper class, those are always on the stove for me. Those are all, those issues are, are a constant. So I don't need to check myself when it comes to diversity or inclusivity regarding socioeconomic status. Um, so my programming around and for the lower class, for the ones on Medicaid, for the ones who are maybe don't qualify for Medicaid or a bit barely do and things like that. So, so then um, that's when I started training uh, mental health practitioners, clinical psychologists, and behavioral health counselors all over North America um, in those modalities and created my own um, historical trauma intensive curriculum and trained um, a local Washington State tribe and trained other healthcare providers in the North Sound ECH. And then the pandemic happened. So then that really stirred up a lot more work in regards to diversity, equity, and inclusion and the ecosystem and the lack of including historical trauma or generational trauma um, in birth work. So we just, Advocates of Sacred just kept plugging away. Um, we were able to be part of two canoe journeys before the pandemic and um, had protocol and made gifts and witnessed a lot of protocol. And um, during that time, I, the, during the pandemic, I was able to catch my second granddaughter. And, you know, as a grandmother, I feel like I almost feel like a little kid again, because it feels like my feet are actually to the fire in regards to, I only have 50 years left. I only have 50 to 60 to maybe hopefully 70 years left. Um, and that's, you know, living into the hundreds um, in regards to this work and how important it is uh, for my family, for their peers, for who they're going to go to school with, for who they're going to run the world with. Um, so the, the bigger the allegiance, the more allies, the more authenticity, the more relationship, the more love, the more truth, and the more that agency of wisdom and knowledge gains momentum and pretty soon will gain velocity because it has nowhere else to go. It has mm -hmm. to grow yeah. um, and it has to grow to meet the needs of those in pain and trauma. 
it's mm-hmm. no coincidence that this work is so great and the needs are so great um, at the same time. It's no coincidence that there's an opiate epidemic happening at the time of the pandemic. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just, yeah. there's no coincidences. And, um, you know, for me, my allegiance for me and my family are the trees or the plants or the flowers or um, the plant medicines in the mountain or the rivers or the salmon people, the swimmers, the wingeds, the, the crawlers um, and some people, you mm-hmm. know, so that that's how much we rely on relationship and believe in, in healing. Wow. Thank you so much. Yeah. That was really uh, elaborated on and said, I, totally get now why it's so important and you've done so much fantastic work over the years so it's really beautiful to see that progression and all the areas that you've made an impact on so I just wanted to ask you about um, some of the work that you've done um, especially relating to perinatal and prenatal um, care because that's such an important topic and it's so um, it's such a needed like area of help and support. So um, could you possibly share some of your like experiences working in that field and how it's impacted, you know, fellow indigenous women looking for that kind of support? Yeah, so um, that's a great question because that is the most important, the number one most important work of all the work that people can focus on or be aware of. And I say that because we all have a belly button. And I say that because um, the pregnant people, especially indigenous people, um, have a lot of creation stories around birth and a lot of um, creation stories around pregnancy and how powerful and it usually includes a relationship to the star people. And if that's not inclusive, I don't know what else is. Um, The need is great. And I learned that from my own experience and birthing four people and then doing the doula training, training native doulas and Mm -hmm. um, learning and getting credentialed and lactation education as well. and quickly realizing the traumas of the birthing process and the lack of support that indigenous women have and women of color have here in in the world, actually, Mm -hmm. Um, but mostly in the United States, mostly in North America. Um, And that's not okay with me. I'm not okay with pregnant people um, not getting support and pregnant people not being treated as good as a canoe, as good as a Chinooka, pregnant people not getting treated as good as um, a celebrity, uh, not getting treated as good as, um, you know, dignitaries. It's, it's just not okay with me. And I've been in births where it was so traumatic um, like very, very, very traumatic. And it was because of something that happened to the pregnant person in early childhood or as a teenager. 
And that experience can make or break a family. Mm -hmm. If you have a a pregnant person delivering a baby under high stress and no housing and addiction and lack of support and abuse, um, then how close and how, how, um, how tight is that bond between the, the baby and the, the parent mm-hmm. and, and what does that relationship look like and how are those needs going to be met or which of those needs are going to be neglected um, in terms of safety and love and care. And those are the things that socioeconomic status doesn't matter because um, it's women of color of all demographics or people of color of all demographics that are um, really having a tough time in their families. Mm -hmm. And the children are having a tough time later on in schools and round and round we go. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so important because it's really, you know, unfortunate, but almost like fascinating at the same time, how much of an impact, like, you know, just one traumatic event can have and how much it can like cause issues throughout the generations. And so I just also wanted to ask you, like, you know, could you explain further as to how, you know, if let's say, you know, three generations ago, something happened, how can that effect sort of cascade throughout the generations and what sort of consequences can that have? Because I think it's important people realize like why it's so important to take care of yourself, not only for yourself, but also for future generations. And I think you've mentioned this to me before, but like you say, I've heard you say that girls hold like um, seven future generations in their wombs. And I thought that was a really interesting phrase. And that, again, speaks to its importance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you, you just hit the nail on the head, Anushka, because you, <laughs> you explained it perfectly. That, that's exactly why is, um, you know, every female or woman or person with those reproductive parts carries nine generations. Um, and I say that because we have all of our eggs in us when we're born and every month when we become of age, we release that egg. And if that egg is a girl, then that girl um, or that woman or that person with the female reproductive parts um, that is born with a womb also has girls also has uh, is a grandmother in herself. Um, so when we think about how the body keeps score and being able to biologically decode parts inside of us, um, people call it epigenetics and it's the, it's the cell, it's the space that wraps around our DNA and that space that wraps around our DNA gets activated through our environment. Our environment is our home, is a, a loved one, is a friend, is a a food is anything that we're in relationship with. Mm -hmm. So if we're, if we just delivered a a girl, this baby grandmother, um, and we know that our great grandmother was in boarding school, or we know that our grandmother was subjected to certain um, behaviors and experiences, 
And if we also know that we haven't healed from those, or if we haven't uh, really tended to those experiences and reconciliation hasn't happened, then we can be extra careful with this, with this baby. We can be maybe extra lovey, maybe extra um, caring in meeting their emotional, spiritual, mental, and physical needs um, and ensuring that there's a relationship between her and the parent or her and mother earth. Um, ensuring that there is an allegiance, that there is support, that there is solutions. Um, and that a lot of times, um, so that also means that we're born with these things in us. We're born, uh, you know, with these conflicts waiting to happen, waiting to show themselves in us. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I'm just curious to know, how, do you have any stories perhaps of your own family or people you've interacted with about you know, how this has impacted you or your families and like how you've come to realize its importance? Mm. Yeah, definitely. So <clears throat> see, so a, a trauma story, um, one of my friends had their kids over at my house. This was back when all the babies were younger. So probably four or five years old. Um, and we've already shared stories, me and my friend about the families and the background of, you know, the grandparents or different lineage, um, in our circles. And so her daughter got, um, soap in her mouth, just like playing and I think they were washing up and the way her daughter responded was like brutal, um, hyper-emotional, really upset, very like traumatized as if, um, as if that little girl was the grandmother that was in boarding school, getting their mouth washed with soap. Mm. That's Mm -hmm. how, um, that's how it can show up sometimes. Um, but knowing, like I said, knowing the background and, and understanding, um, that this is what this little girl was going through. Uh, we were able to hold that space and just care for her and Mm -hmm. let her know like it's not her fault and um and and we'll be more careful and this is that and yes that's true like those emotions are right on um you know because kids don't make stuff up that when they get emotional it's always for a reason it's always for reasons they don't they don't have capacity to lie about their emotions Mm -hmm. they can learn to lie about behaviors and they can learn to lie about things that they see, but they don't have capacity to lie about how they feel. And, and so that, that was, that's one experience. Um, and then other like session work with clients, um, in community, you know, another lady, um, very amazing, beautiful, uh, identifies as a black woman, um, just a mate, God, like hands down is a change maker and, you know, um, tenure at a local university, retired, just amazing, beautiful person, uh, decided to ask for help in certain um, birth work from the past, you know, wanting to go back and heal and recover. 
Um, and so we let this person know that, you know, you're asking for this and you're also going to get healing for your whole family. Your son is also going to get closer to you. Like you're going to be able to, um, you know, take care of this hyperthyroid thing you have going on, take care of this bladder infection that you have going on and further uh, deepen your wellness, like on a cellular level for your son and your family. Um, and that's, that's exactly what happened because the work, um, the modalities that we use not, um, are not anything like Western or Eastern medicine where you have an issue or complaint, be it uh, injury, ailment, or disease, and you go to that provider and they give you a treatment and you keep going back for that treatment until it's gone. Um, as if it's only a, a certain level mm -hmm. that you're needing treatment. So the modalities that we use are more empowering for the client. Um, they're all inclusive for the client and the client is the one who's driving. And the modality, the practitioner from AOS, the modality is more like the navigation, but they're the ones who are driving. So we, they don't go anywhere that they can't go, which means um, if the navigation is set and we've done our work, our healing journeys, and we're uh, preserving and protecting those rights of reconciliation for, for the human family and for Mother Earth, then that driver is doing their own generational reconciliation work. And they're able to sustain those health um, health ways they're able to sustain their wellness mm -hmm. and it's not said like so we won't see a client for the same thing twice it just doesn't happen we won't um it just it, it's just it's that sustainable and it it feels amazing especially with uh, working with pregnant people and certain things like um preeclampsia or um the pelvis having issues. Um, there's just certain certain things that uh, we as human beings take for granted and that's being in charge of our own agency of wellness and that's being in charge of our own agency of wisdom and knowledge, which we all have access to. Mm -hmm. That's so wonderful. I am really astonished to hear that story you told about that girl, but at the same time, it makes sense, you know, like these kinds of things can get passed down and they show up and it's very shocking. But and do you think that these practices of, you know, being very person centered and this this idea of healing people from the inside out and really trying to focus on their needs versus just treating it like a disease or like one time thing? Do you think that this traditional healing practice has resurfaced more over the years? And do you think it's becoming more popular? Well, yes and yes. And I'm hoping, and the goal is to, um, to hold that spot, you know, and to, to be able to continue those stories of wellness enough so that people can share their own stories of their own agency of wellness. Um, and I think that uh, Dr. Angela Costa spoke to it very eloquently when he was talking to Thomas Hubel 
um, I forget what, if this was last year or the year before, um, when he said that evolution is happening right now for indigenous people, for uh, this truth to becoming a reality. And he was talking about um, sustainable wellness and he was talking about the ultimate relationship between uh, human and mother earth, which for me is only the beginning. You know, um, I see mother earth differently than most people. I see the universe and our galaxies different than most people. Um, and that that's because I've been listening to my grandfather since I was one and a half. Um, only it wasn't until over a month ago, I found out it was my grandfather's up until then. If you go back to different podcasts or interviews that I've done, I always give credit to God, creator and or my ancestors who I've always listened to, who I've always been obedient to. And it was uh, over a month ago that I found out it was my grandfather's. And so that provides even more clarity for my work, for, for my relationship, for Mother Earth, for my children, for my grandchildren's grandchildren. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, so sort of speaking about this, like medicine, um, what are some of the ways in which you help clients heal using, you know, perhaps tra traditional like plants or um other methods? Could you sort of elaborate on that? <laughs> yes, I love, I love um, plant medicines, or I like to call plant medicines mother's breath. Because mm -hmm. um, for me, it is all about relationship. And then, and I'm still, you know, I can't help but make everything so personal. Um, and I do that because I died in 2012. And so for me, I'm, I'm also there's not a second that goes by that I'm not thankful that I'm not fully immersed in relationship with my children or grandchildren or mother's breath or hunting or my work, um, my sisters or allegiance of the work. Um, because growing up, you know, I only had my grandfather's inside of me. I didn't have um, my mother, she was dying from the age of three, her body shut down. She wasn't supposed to have children. And it's almost like she, she only had me so I can doctor her because I'm the one who took care of her. I'm the one who um, organized her pharmaceuticals and cleaned her scars and her wounds and mm -hmm. looked after her in and out of the hospital. Um, and then my brother had HIV. So again, I was just immersed as plain doctor as I was growing up as I was neglected and abused and homeless in Seattle. And so I was so malnutritioned as a little girl, my stomach bulged and that's how hungry I was. And that's also how okay I was because I had my grandfathers. I had that, that ultimate relationship that I didn't understand fully, but I just trusted it. Um, so all of that love and trust goes into my work with, mother's breath with plant medicine when I invite people into that when people clients come and they ask for for help with mother's breath with plant medicines or treatments they get indoctrinated into that depth of a relationship with the plant and and through transmission just even being the same space like 
they feel it and they trust it and, and it works, you know, um, it heals tendonitis, it heals fractures, it heals um, viruses on the flesh, it heals um, unknown dermatitis, it heals planter's warts, it heals um, coronavirus, it heals uh, blood clots in the legs, it heals, you know, all these things because Mother Earth provides and it's through her breath that she takes care of us. And when we think about relationship, isn't that every mother's dream is to take care of their child with their own breath by breathing on them, by speaking with them, by sharing with them, by, by being in that closest space with them. Yeah, that's so fantastic. And I really love that you call it mother's breath. That's a very nice name. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So do you have a, a favorite like plant that you use often or like, you know, has really good properties? You like this? Yes, I do have a favorite plant. I have a favorite plant and I love it so much. And she's um, ah, it's called Indian Elabore. Uh -huh. And this plant has been banned from indigenous people for generations now. Um, this plant cannot be synthesized and Western medicine did try an attempt to synthesize it. And all they could come up with is half of it. Mm -hmm. And the half of it is called prednisone. Prednisone is a very strong steroid medication from Western medicine. And it has so many awful side effects and has so many awful uh, parameters. And what's interesting is my whole life, um, doctoring my mother, I knew prednisone very well because she needed it a lot. Mm -hmm. And she had tremendous side effects from it. And I remember like weaning her off and weaning her back onto it um, based on like the protocol, based on her prognosis. So I, I was able to follow Western medicine's model for my mother and my brother who had HIV and was able to learn the synthetics of powerful plant medicines. Only I didn't have the powerful plant medicines I only had the synthetics so when I discovered or when this one found me um, in the mountains during the pandemic Indian Elabor found me and uh, <clears throat> a friend over who you know knew about some plants and wasn't sure um, didn't know anything about this one and they thought it was a different one and so they were confused and I wasn't confused I just didn't have the the specifics of this plant and so what I like to do with plants is I make a tea right away and then I'll drink the root tea and this one I didn't this one I waited and I let the smell kind of take over the house and I always have plants cooking and I always have medicines um, being made at my home mm -hmm. anyhow and uh, well my home is actually not a house it's called the womb um, but now it's an eagle's nest and I'll, that's a different story but um, this plant, uh, the next day, um, I did a bunch of things and I was able to really work with it. And since then, um, that plant I uh, out and burn smudge with. It helps with PTSD. It helps with um, protecting and preserving um, certain medicines. It helps uh, when you, the way I prepare it, um, it can heal um, 
fractures. It can heal tendonitis. It can heal tears. Um, it can help pregnant people with uh, preeclampsia. It can help um, stop blood clots because of the coronavirus. It can help so many things, but the smell of it is intoxicating and it smells so good. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm radically humbled that I get to work with it. Uh, there's not a lot of people that number one, even know about it, that number two have a relationship with it. And mm -hmm. mostly they can't even touch it. They physically cannot touch this plant because their hands will go numb. That's mm -hmm. how strong it is. Um, so it, it's my, it's my go-to, it's my favorite, um, plant I've, you know, partnered with it a number of times, um, for a number of things that are really hard to deal with, uh, mm -hmm. in the Western model of medicine. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's my favorite plant. So yeah. Yay. I'm so glad that you found that plant and like revitalize it, I guess. I mean, the fact that, you know, it was like banned for so long. And I always mm -hmm. just love hearing about how, you know, when indigenous people like reclaim parts of, you know, culture and like history that were banned or like, you know, mm -hmm. long gone, it's always so nice to hear. Um, and that just kind of reminds me of like my own culture, because in India, we obviously have a lot of plants and um, traditions that like have been long lost, but I also like to keep them alive. So yeah, we use a lot of um, gooseberry and a lot of the cooking we do and like neem mm. and obviously turmeric. Um, and there's a lot of other like herbs and like plants that are really good for you. So there's like um, I don't know the English name. I always, that's another thing. It's like, I always know the Hindi name, but mm -hmm. not the English name, but yeah, that's. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's always. That's nice. power. Yeah. I think that's, that's ultimate power. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Great. So uh, just to sort of wrap up, I guess I'd also like to ask you if you'd like to share, you know, some some words of wisdom with our, our listeners about, you know, what, if you had to share, you know, one thing that you've learned throughout your whole journey of traditional medicine or helping others heal and all this important work, you know, what is that one really big word of words of wisdom you would share? Mm, wow. That's a good one. Anushka. <laughs> um, I, the main one that I would want people to focus on is their own belly button, <laughs> their own story, their mm -hmm. own, um, their own birthrights, um, and finding ways to breathe through their belly button, finding ways to um, start from there and there, start from there and there and, and be able to really learn, interpret and retell, um, and reinterpret again, their own story. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Because I like to say that the first trauma that everyone has is being born. Everyone's, everyone's traumatized from being born. And the second trauma that everyone has is their belly button. Mm -hmm. Like we, everyone has one our umbilical cords were all cut 
Mm-hmm. There's a lot of trust in that moment for us to breathe on our own or eat on our own. And, you know, everything, everything happened right in that moment. And, you know, that's when um, for certain cultures and beliefs, that's when the ancestral um, ancestors weren't able to be as connected to us because that's all, that's all we had in the womb was like our prayer because we didn't have our voice. We didn't have food. We had nothing else, but, but our hearts and our minds and all the cultivation of our ancestors or star people or stories or, or what have you. But if we can focus on our belly button and know that everyone has one, that everyone has suffered, everyone has survived to this moment. Um, I think that would make a lot of difference in how people treat each other and how people um, treat themselves through these times. Wow. Yeah, that is fantastic. And I just got an idea. I know you do some amazing breath work that I've been fortunate enough to experience with you. That was really powerful. So maybe in our future episode, we could have you do some breath work. And definitely. I would love that. Yeah. And then, you know, we'd have that recording and anyone who's listening could also benefit from that. And that would be wonderful because I know you focus a lot on like the belly button while we're breathing. Yes. That's it's just so grounding. And I think that's a great, you know, place to focus on when you're trying to meditate. So great advice. Oh, thank you. Anushka. <laughs> awesome. Well, you just have always so many interesting things to share and so much amazing work. So I'm really grateful that I could talk to you today and have you on my podcast. Thank you. Me too. I look forward to visiting with you more. Yes, for sure. Thank you so much. Oh, Nushka, have a good one. You too. All right. Bye. Thank you. Bye.